Absolutely. Hey everyone, welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Simone de Rochefort, uh, video editor at Pixelkin.org, and I'm joined in my sick bed by Brianna Wu, head of development at Giant Space Cat, and Christina Warren, senior tech correspondent at Mashable.com. Are you guys ready to get the PAX box transmitted through the internet? Wow. Uh, we we are. So all right. So you're when you say you're from your sick bed, it's not the same as when Taylor says, you know, these sick beats. Right? Uh, like it's actually my beats are bed. my beats are pretty sick right now. Uh, I, if I were wearing Beats headphones, that would be so cool of me to say, but I'm not. Um, but imagine I am. And I'm lying in bed. I actually have, I took my computer from work because I'm working from home today because I can't drive 30 minutes like this. So I've set my my desktop Mac up in my bed and I'm kind of sitting underneath it. It's 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 beautiful. I feel, I feel like the heroine so of an Austin so, novel. So, so you're like working on an iMac in your bed? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, so years ago when I still lived in Atlanta, Brief aside, uh, before we get into our show, my husband used to go to the Starbucks near our house, and every single day, this guy would show up at Starbucks um, with his iMac. It was oh like a God. 24-inch iMac, which was like the biggest <gasps> iMac they had at the time, and he would come and like sit in the at Starbucks and like work on his novel. Oh my God! Um, and it was funny because the the photo ended up going viral. Uh, from, from I remember Grant's that Flickr account. I remember yeah, that it, was yeah. yes. <laughs> Grant took that photo. It was my local Starbucks in Dunwoody, Georgia. Uh, hilarious. That is incredible. I could be that guy. You could, he's he probably had really strong arms from carrying that thing around. I always thought that was like because the photo was so staged, and I mean the guy had like a a smug look on his face. I always thought that was like a joke photo. I'm amazed to hear that that's real. Oh, <laughs> oh my no, God. that was totally real. No, he was apparently writing his book and he wrote his book like from his start. I, I don't even know. He, yeah. I can't believe you and Grant are like the viral couple <laughs> on top of all things viral. So do we want to get into this week's, sorry, topics? Well, before we, we do. do that, I think we need to tell Rocket listeners our Paximone. So yes. after, after writing... In your Toyota Tercel. And I've got to tell you, I've oh, yeah. ridden in Ferraris. I've ridden in Porsches. I have ridden in, like, I ride a motorcycle. I have, like, ridden in Audi TTs before. <laughs> your car is the finest piece of machinery ever. It is. I love your car. And I'm saying that without any irony or sarcasm I'm glad that all. someone finally realizes that. There's something that transcends awesomeness about yourself <laughs> i love that car and you told me that if anything ever happened to you i got your toyota tercel and there are like, several witnesses to this now i mean not right. just among rocket listeners but yeah. first amanda was okay. the witness and then yeah. the entire pixelkin staff witnessed that's right. us discuss this so i i guess now I, that is law i yeah. think right well i feel really torn because you're coughing this week and I feel empathy for you, but I'm also kind of hoping I get a toy out of Tercel. You yeah. have to look on the bright side of things. I could I could die any second, and then you would be the winner <laughs> of a brand old Toyota Tercel. Oh my god. You would be so happy. You would be smiling all the way to the funeral. And I think that we really need that, that levity. I I, I wouldn't want you to be sad. I would just want you to yeah. laugh. <laughs> 
there would be some levity for sure. But honestly, I don't even like talking about the fact oh. that you might not be around. I, oh. I, I, I don't. We love you. I, I, yeah. I don't even. Yeah, we do love you. And so I, as much as Brie wants your Trussell, sorry, Brie, you can't have <laughs> Whoa. it. Okay. Simone's living forever. Whoa. Okay. 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 Uh, we'll talk okay. later about the uh, immortality <laughs> potion that you're going to bestow upon me. Brianna, <laughs> well, I actually I did want to say just before we start, uh, it was awesome to see you last week. It was so cool. Yay. And my roommate met you as well. And he told me about it after and he was like, she's just so warm and friendly and I was like yeah that's Brianna <laughs> which is funny because like my public perception is I'm the most terrible no. human on the internet I know and it's ridiculous because anyone who's met you is just like you're you're so effervescently I don't know sociable and it's yeah it was really nice to see you again yeah it was nice seeing you too Simone cool so. Bef- awesome. You know, before I die. Get, um, anyway, get to it. <laughs> so first thing we're going to talk about this week is Apple Maps, which is getting a sick new update in its iOS 9 incarnation. I think the most important thing that it's going to do is include transit again. Um, yes. And as I understand it, Christina, is it going to include transit in every city or is it just some major hubs? Uh, it should be every city. I mean, or, or you know... <sighs> I think it depends on what they can do. It's it's most major cities, from what I understand, because they bought they bought a, a comp- uh, an app called Embark and they bought an app called Hopstop, um, and they've been working with other local authorities. So it might not be every single city, but from what I understand, it should be comparable to what Google Maps is able to offer. Uh, you know, there will still be benefits to third party apps if you're in a city that has a really remote, you know, kind of public transit yeah. system. <laughs> uh, but if you're in, you know, a, a fairly major city, then yeah, transit should be included. Your piece on this was interesting. Interesting because I the takeaway was kind of like it, Apple Maps isn't necessarily going to be better than Google Maps or something like City Mapper, but if you are on iOS, it is worth trying again just because of all the integration that it offers with everything else on iOS. Exactly. That's basically how I feel. You know, I mean, it, it's um, it's a lot better than it was. You know, it, the jokes from from three years ago um, are still with them. They're still trying to kind of overcome that stigma, mm-hmm. and uh, and and it's deserved, frankly. You know, they 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 really kind of um, ished the bed when they <laughs> released it, and it was not it was not a great release. It's gotten better over time, certainly, but a lot of people tried it and they were like, okay, I'm not going to use this again. And frankly, for me, living in a city where transit is so important, not having transit built in was one of those things where I was like, oh, I can't even use this. You know, so the the, the app I use for my calendar, I use Fantastical, and it will offer you the ability to either integrate with, with Google Maps or Apple Maps. And I always chose Google Maps. Why? Because Google Maps has transit. You know, I use an app like City Mapper, which is still better for all around transit stuff. But, you know, if I want to know what's the best way to get to something, I can now rely on my iPhone again, which is something I haven't been able to do in three years, mm-hmm. which has sucked. I mean, frankly, this has been a necessary upgrade for them. Uh, the big thing I do think, though, will be if you're all in on the Apple ecosystem. So you've got the the, the, the phone, the iPad, the Mac. What makes it really cool is that the upcoming um, Maps update in, in OS ten El Capitan will also support transit. And so if you put in a location for your appointment, you know, it'll help find you, help get you the best way to get there and, you know, send you a little alert or a reminder, or if you're wearing an Apple Watch, a nudge to say, hey, you need to leave now. And you can actually pass off using handoff um, directions. So if you start using, you know, maps on your computer, 
you can immediately hand off to your phone or your iPad. And the same if you're starting on your iPad and you're maybe looking at something, it'll now hand off to you know the phone um, a lot more seamlessly. So the best benefits are really for those who are kind of all in on the ecosystem. But I think just in general, the fact that it is such a, a used app because it is the you know default mapping app, the fact that it's getting better and the fact that it's finally getting transit is a really good thing. And, and it's it's clear they've put a lot of time into it. And it's also clear that you know maps was a lot harder than they thought it was. Yeah. I'm curious about why the transit wasn't integrated from the beginning. Do you think that just wasn't a priority to them that they miscalculated or? Yes. And they even said, because so? I asked, yeah. I do, I do, okay. because yeah. they, they made a point very early on. What I remember asking them, and they even said in the keynote, they were like, you know, transit something that we think is an opportunity for third parties. Okay. So their idea was, yes. So wow. they actually had a thing where you could open in, you know, you, you could do your thing. And if you wanted transit, you could do open in this other app. But it wasn't seamless. And it was, to me, even at the time I went, in my, I remember in my initial review, I was like, what are you doing? This is absolutely insipid. This is absolutely insane. Um, I don't like to go here because Apple has a lot of employees all over the place. But part of me wonders if it was a little bit of a living in, you know, the Cupertino kind of in that bubble in the Silicon Valley bubble mm-hmm. of not being where... You know, obviously there's BART and some other things in San Francisco, but a lot of it, especially in, in the, the the Valley Valley area, you know, is, is going to be car based. Mm-hmm. So they're not as focused on, you know, if you live in a city like New York or Chicago or, you know, if you're in Asia where you need freaking transit instructions. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, one of the very first, you know, stories I wrote for like in the aftermath of the Apple Maps disaster, you know, one of I, I remember writing up, you know, big, you know, kind of how to guide for all the all the best transit apps for the cities because it wasn't built in. But Apple's policy then was oh, we think this is an opportunity for third party developers. We'd rather have them do that. But but at the time I was like, just use the MTA data. You know, Google has they make I know it's Google's data, but they make it available in an open API. Just take that information and pump yeah. it into your app. Yeah. Like just just well, take I, it. I do have to say this, and uh, granted, this point is a little bit uh, abrogated by what you just said, Christina. But I think a lot of people that aren't software developers don't understand the concept of like iterative development. You know, Apple Maps was starting from scratch. And Google has what, how much data, like when we got rid of Google Maps in iOS 9, like how many, that was like a decade and a half of data that Google was working with, right? Uh, like, probably a decade. Probably yeah, a decade, a decade of and data. That is non-trivial, right? And no, it's not. So, but in fairness, yeah, yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. But in fairness, that was a decision Apple made. And oh, so absolutely. If you're going to come to the, so so you're, you're absolutely right. They were starting from scratch, but I'm not willing to give them a pass on that because even if you're starting from scratch, if you're going to say this is the default mapping app, you can't set another app to be your default. This is what you get. And your last app worked really well, and now your new app doesn't, and you don't have basic features that regular people need. I'm not going to give you a pass just because maps are hard. Oh, no, uh, yeah, maps I'm not, are really hard. I'm not oh, I'm, I'm not pass. saying you are. I'm my, just my saying point that, yeah. is. My point is, you're right, Christina. This was a disaster. Um, I remember at the time knowing so many people i my lead engineer my lead engineer like nearly went to android and refused to update oh, wow. her phone because yeah. the map application was so bad and like you she you know she had to use boston's public transportation i guess my one and only point is setting expectations i think is very important and from yes. the beginning I expected it to be a long time going for Apple to kind of get something that was up to, you know, even remote feature parity. That is realistic. But if they're giving you 
Ugh, trying to not to curse here. If they're giving you BS <laughs> about... Oh, and they uh, were, yeah. Oh, that's a third-party problem? That is... That is just... That's not holding yourself to high standards. And that, no, that it's really not. disappoints me if they would make a statement like that. And you. So you said that they, they could pipe MTA data in there. Would that be applicable to transit on, on the level that they're trying to do now? Or would it be a much more difficult endeavor for them to have included maps at an earlier well, stage? Earlier on, they could have done it much more easily. They could have just taken the the open kind of protocols of, of, of the public transit information that Google was using and made available and used it in their app. Why they didn't, I don't know. At this point, they've acquired other companies that have their own, you know, technologies and APIs. And they're also using the open, um, you know, transit and kind of scheduling information from a lot of those authorities. So the MTA offers an API, which they're using, which offers real-time information. And and so do a bunch of other massive mass transit places. Um, one of the advantages of acquiring HopStop, for instance, which was a great app, um, is that it'll help you get to the right entrance in New York or other systems, so so it'll show you the most convenient entrance to go to. Go to this entrance and get out here, and this is where you need to go because a lot of times, you know, there's a station that might have four or five different entrances. You don't know exactly where you're entering. This is where you want to enter, so this is the best place when you get off for your destination or, 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 or vice versa. Um, so that's really important. Um, you know, I would also say in, in Apple's, not, not to defend them, but just to kind of put how much changes in three years, their entire software team has had an overhaul since then. Scott Forstall is no longer with the company. Um, Clegg Federighi, you know, took over both things. And so their, their engineering structure, from what I understand, is different. They've um and, and they've and, and, and as you said, Re, you know, it only makes sense that taking on this endeavor would take a lot of time. I think what we had all hoped and what clearly wasn't the case, I don't think that Apple came into creating maps and realized it would be as huge of an undertaking as it was. And I think a lot of us had been under the impression that maybe they were planning for years beforehand. And it turned out, no, they weren't. <laughs> um, and and it took three years to kind of get to back to where they were three years ago. Um, I'm not going to say that there aren't advantages to using Apple Maps, because there definitely are. And the, be- the biggest ones are integration with other services. Uh, but if you've been a longtime Google Maps user, it's going to be one of those things where I think the the biggest thing is you might not feel the need to open the map up as mu- the app up as as often anymore. Um, and, and obviously the integration with other places. But I wouldn't say that there's necessarily anything about Apple Maps that makes it better. It's just it finally works well. <laughs> Do you think they're on a kind of upward trajectory of improving that app now? Definitely. Absolutely. Definitely. The one- yeah, like, the, the I do. One... I do think it's fair to say, like, as we're moving, like, guys, we are moving very quickly into a future where you can go to Uber and have like a driverless car sent to you. Yeah, Google's working on it. Uber's working on it. Like, we're closer than I think people realize to that. And I think Apple is just. I I don't know how they're going to even compete. <laughs> like the mapping, the mapping. This is a, a a continuing gap in technology that they have. And, you know, Christina, I would imagine you don't know exactly what Apple's working on. I certainly don't. But I don't. You know, they can't rest on their laurels here. They've got, no. like, we are continuing to march forward. And, like, they're adding transit data. They're adding transit data at the end of 2015. But it's good. Like, it is good because, I, I mean... Public transit is so, so important. And I think it's really important for a company like Apple, who is so huge, to just include that because it it, it creates, I, I think, 
we need the impression that public transit is a way to move forward, which I know in New York it is. In Seattle, we're fighting all the time about public transit cutting bus routes. Are we going to add, you know, a, a light rail across the lake? Maybe. I think it'll happen someday. But it, it really is a struggle to get the to get people to recognize how important public transit is. And I think that the recognition of, you know, something as simple as Apple Maps is part of making that recognized. Yeah, no, I think I think that's absolutely right. Um, one thing I would note is that uh, obviously I've used it in New York. It's working really well in New York. And, and obviously New York is a really important market for them to do well in. What I'm not sure about is how well it will work internationally in some other cities. I've heard some things from some people in other countries, parts like, you know, Amsterdam would say it's still a mess. Hopefully when iOS 9 rolls out, it'll be fixed. I've also heard some good things from developers who try to use MapKit stuff in their products um, and in their apps, who are saying that Apple has finally fixed a lot of the bugs and that it's finally improved on that end. So I've heard both good things and bad things. I've heard good things that it's better for for developers who are using those APIs. They finally fixed a lot of bugs and a lot of stoppers. Um, and But I've also heard that internationally it might still need some work that's something i know um having talked to people uh will just stay familiar with the matter that they are very much focused on improving and that i think is going to be the big thing that they kind of have to be aware of moving forward because that's something that google um really excelled at for a long time one of the reasons google maps was so good was that for many years the primary source of data that they got was just from regular people adding and mapping information that they would then kind of go back in and, and um, you know, confirm or deny. And and that worked out really well because it got them a ton of data um, without having to, to do a lot of the mapping things themselves. And so they could be a lot more up to date. Mm-hmm. And then like a Garmin or, um, you know, a TomTom a or, or some other sort of service. Um, and, and they would have a much more global presence, you know, that, because the global part is what's hard about maps. Even to this day, you know, Google is probably the best of all of them, but they, you know, still have some weak spots. And so this is something I think Apple, especially as they increasingly become a global company, uh, will need to address. But uh, you're absolutely right, Brie, when you said they can't rest on their laurels, because like you said, you know, the self-driving car future is coming and, and maps are a really important part of that. And I mean, honestly, it's it's one of the reasons why, um, you know, Nokia is here, was, you know, sold off for a couple billion dollars to BMW, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's a it's a space that, that we take for granted, but is going to be really important absolutely and also updating those maps right like having yes, actual that's, pictures that's the and huge 3D things. data yes. around you that's imperative so absolutely um, yeah this is like let's just be straight up this is a huge competitive deficit for apple um you know and siri so far is not as good as some of the other services it's better in some ways but it's a lot worse than some others and you know apple needs to step it up it's just that simple All right. Our challenge to Apple has been issued. This episode of Rocket is brought to you by Squarespace, where you can start building your website today at squarespace.com, especially if you enter offer code ROCKET at checkout and get 10% off, which will make you an awesome person. Uh, When it comes to giving yourself a place online, there is literally nowhere better to start building your website than squarespace.com. They put all the power in your hands to make a beautiful website, whether you have knowledge of coding, whether you have no knowledge of coding, no matter what you want to do, Squarespace is the best place to start building your website. They take away all the pain of worrying about things like hosting and scaling, and they offer great support if you get stuck along the way. Uh, They offer lots of templates, templates also based on professions, so you can make a website that is tailored exactly to what you want to offer, and they are beautiful. 
They have 24-7 support with live chat and email, and they're basically just really, really cool. So Squarespace 7 is out right now. If you sign up for a year, you will get a free domain name, allowing you to choose exactly what you want your site to be called. Squarespace Squarespace plans start at $8 a month, which is way less than I pay for wine every month. Um... And probably way less than I'll be spending on tissues for my sad, stuffed nose. So you can start a trial today with no credit card required and start building the awesome website that will be your internet home in the future when you go to squarespace.com. And when you do that, make sure that you enter offer code ROCKET and get save yourself 10% and show your love for this show this show, which is called Rocket. Um, so yeah, thank you, Squarespace, for your support of this show and of Relay FM. And you're awesome. Keep on keeping on. Free domain name. Free domain, domain name. <laughs> free, free, free domain name idea that you can use for your free domain for your Squarespace site. Simonessexyflim.com. Oh, God. <laughs> well, I mean, on the bright side, that's probably one of the few names that is not taken now in the world out there it's you know it's hard to buy a domain but you've got my sexy phlegm to back you up <laughs> i i don't even want to know what kind of e-commerce site that's going to be i don't want to know i don't want to know let's move on we gotta keep it a so the google today. logo yeah. Yeah. changed this week um i told okay so the google logo lost its serifs it's a nice thick sort of uh, it's called Product Sans, um, and they've, they've kept the same colors and everything, but it is, it's really striking, you guys. What what a difference some serifs and a little less weight on the font can make. Uh, we have talked on we've... the show so much about, Christina, you and I, about our tendency to put off deadlines until the last minute. So my my mental headcanon story about this image is some graphic designer was like, <laughs> like, put off the deadline, put off the deadline. It was like five minutes before it was due, so then they just type it out in this normal font and apply the, the things. Um, like, well, Rihanna, done, it's product done. sans, so yeah. you know. <laughs> I mean, it, it's a geometric uh, sans serif font. It's very Futura esque. What's actually really funny um, was that um, uh, one of our one of our listeners and and a great woman, um, uh, I uh, had um, a visit with her uh, last week. She's from Michigan, and she brought me some um, alphabet blocks from michigan and the alphabet blocks were used in like the the announcement of alphabet the company like they had like a like a, a children's alphabet building block you know for, for the letter a and i spelled out google using those blocks and the font is remarkably similar it's not the same but it's remarkably similar i think the thing that's most striking to me about this i know they they've made it a lot more similar to the font for the alphabet logo i'm not sure if it's the same font but it, it looks pretty similar but it's really striking how much of a difference having so many colors makes and that's something we've learned at pixelkin is that you know we we had a we have a really colorful website and we're kind of trying to tone that down a bit because it does make it look very childish and i think that's kind of what what strikes me about the Google logo now, and especially that the the E on the end, yes, it, it, the crookedness of it is almost maximized by the new font, and I'm, I just yes. really it it kind of I'm not not a not a huge fan. I'm sure I'll get used to it. I do like how adaptable it is. I, I do think I it's do really too. cool how it can 
transform into all the the Google symbols and stuff that they're using for microphones, for web, etc. Um, however, no, I agree. However, yeah. I, I'm still adjusting. I'm in mourning. It's a weird thing to look at, right? And it was it was Marina Eppelman. I, I didn't. I was debating whether or not I was going to say her name. She was the wonderful person who um who gave me the alphabet blocks. But I'm with you. It, it's it's a hard thing um to kind of decide like like to get used to you're like i i'm used to seeing this other thing and now i've got this flat colored kind of childlike looking thing that's just it doesn't it it doesn't seem like google yeah it, it google the google logo has been around for like my entire life and i don't think it's changed very much at least within the you know the span of time that i can remember as a person it who has, has but not since 99 from it was the same from like 99 i think until like 2012 and then it changed very slightly became a little mm-hmm. bit flatter yeah we'll but it see, had the same like letter before forms nine years old i don't remember anything so right no well and, and google as a company only formed uh in 97 I want to say. So I think today is actually, as we record this, is actually their 17th birthday. Oh. Um, so 98, I guess. I, so, I, I, um, I guess I would have to say, like, um, you know, my, my graphic designer friends have been tearing this to pieces. And, you know, there's the single G logo. And, yeah, I you hate know, that. they've been, have you seen that with the angles yes. being completely off? Like, basically, I hate the, that. the line from the G should come off and be, be straight. Um, you know, this is one of the, the design rules that I, I have to admit, like I've learned in kind of taking Apple's uh, notes from it. So, um, you know, when Apple came through and redesigned their flat OS, they, they put out these, these guidelines, these grid guidelines, and then other app designers, um, there's actually this really helpful Photoshop file that keeps getting updates it's called app template icon. And you can go into it and then see, um, use grid based design principles to basically lie, you know, like make your logo pleasing and uncomfortable conscious ways and you know the problem with the g logo is it just completely ignores that in some ways that frankly feel very lazy so um i i think i think this is not their best work um i uh, yeah well i i don't I, know <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting i i saw i mean the obvious comparison is that they're going for a a, a single recognizable iconic logo like apple has the apple so google now has that capital g whereas before i think their favicon was the lowercase g on a blue background if i'm not misremembering that i think that's right yeah yeah which now that i'm looking back on it i'm like that that is an odd choice considering you know all the other things that you had to work with in that to make into like a small icon this is i think technically better branding though not necessarily better design so that's my i i think that's it i think that's it have we literally um, just harder finished the google Google logo in like five minutes well kids since we have a little extra time can we jump onto that security topic maybe that we're talking about let's go for it so this is this is do you mind if i introduce it oh please do okay so uh you know i got an email this week it was actually sent to isometric um and not rocket and i kind of i want to have an open discussion with the the two of you about kind of um security and trust so what this particular listener um was writing me about is 
you know, obviously security has been a much more scrutinized thing, uh, basically since the Bush administration, right? The government spying on us is something that is very correct to be increasingly concerned about. So, you know, there have been some, um, I don't know if I call them scandals, but some, um, you know, some, some instances of the NSA spying on the American public that have kind of come out that have drawn a lot of fear correctly from tech circles. One of them was PRISM. Uh, where, yep. you know, basically PRISM was, uh, came from an NSA slide, you know, claiming to be able to tap into the back end of some of the, the biggest companies in the world, like Apple and Google, you know. Um, and then there was another one, uh, Dropout Jeep was this kind of, um, it, it was very similar where people were talking about uh, having a 100% success rate in cracking your phone. So this particular um, podcast listener was writing to me and, you know, frankly, begging me to look at at it. Um, now, I think over here in the Apple community, we we do correctly, I think, take pride in Apple's track record of being, in my opinion, the most pro-privacy you know, major company out there. So when I believe something and someone is kind of arguing something to the opposite, I, I think it's a really good intellectual exercise to stop, take a beat, read through the argument, think through it critically so you can make sure right. like you're not refusing to look at new information. So this was a very long email that this person sent me. And um, I have to say, it's my opinion. It's the opinion of a lot of other people that looked at it. Um, these particular accusations against Apple of working with the government, I think were, I think the truth is we don't know. I think that's right. an accurate thing to say as a I journalist. But I think this opens up the door to a wider conversation here. So when you were a security researcher, um, well, if if you're looking at security or how to format your policies there, you, you kind of have two choices, right? The way Apple does it is they tend to be hyper secretive and a little bit proprietary about what their source code is, about what their policies are, about what, about what their you know, responding to about the changes that they're making, they are choosing to be very secretive behind the scenes. Um, that has an upside because, you know, they're kind of not talking openly about what is in their code, but it has the downside that independent people can't come in and look at it. I would say overwhelmingly in the security community, you have more of a bias towards, you know, free and open, well, not free and open source, open source security, where people can come in and look at that. And that certainly has some very strong um, applications. I think one of the biggest ones is with voting machines. Um, where they've repeatedly found some extremely disturbing things in there because the, the the source code isn't proprietary. So I guess this is the point where I wanted to have a quick discussion, kind of talking about Apple's approach to security and not having their stuff be open source, some of it, a, a good part of it, and whether that makes them safer. So, I mean, how do you all feel about that? I guess my, my initial instinct is yes, I think, because then you have a core group of people who is committed to that company's mission of privacy. But I think that also kind of carries with it the risks of kind of getting a, a hive mind in a sense. And maybe with a, with a smaller, unnecessarily smaller group of people looking at the code that I think does open you up to certain risks because there might, you know, the more eyes, the better, the more I, the more eyes you have on something, the more flaws you're kind of going to find in it. So 
I, I do think it opens them up to maybe missing certain certain loopholes that Absolutely. people could get through. Absolutely. However, I mean, in this case, I I, I do think that it does. You know, it, it is you know automatically kind of more secure in the sense that you know the people the people in that group are kind of theoretically united in their cause. Christina, do you know, does Apple pay bounties for, like, zero-day exploits or things like that that are found? I don't, I think that they do, but I don't think they have, like, public bounty programs the same way that Google or Facebook does. Um, that, that That's, you know, they definitely, you know, will take it if people submit things to them. And sometimes people have to submit things publicly even for Apple to pay attention. But they've gotten better. I know in, in recent years about, you know, responding to security threats, they try to work on that. But they definitely are not like the Googles or the Facebooks um, of the world that are a lot more public about what goes into their security things. I think some part of that is because they're an older company um, and, and they are, their ideas deals are a little bit different in that regard um i think part of it too it, it's it's interesting because i agree on in theory you know with the with the, the notion that uh you know what's known as you know linus's law you know with with enough um eyes all bugs are shallow um that you know having more eyes on stuff is is, is useful but that's only if you know what you're looking at because you know when you when you look at heartbleed which was in open SS, um open ssl that was there for years and no one knew and everyone was using it everyone was using it and and it was it was a big it was a big hole and and we've seen that time and time again where just because it's open doesn't mean it's necessarily being audited in the right places by the right people so that that that's point number 1 although i i think in general having more eyes is a good thing i think point number 2 what's difficult about this is i think you have to kind of balance what is made open and accessible and what can other people audit and what information might be open to compromising business agreements or relationships with other people that just frankly doesn't need to be, you know, public. Um, so if there's something like if, if if there was, you know, if they were working with the government, maybe they're not passing over all data. Maybe they are passing over some things. Maybe they're not passing over anything. Who knows? Um, but if, but if they're having conversations with different governments and and it's in, it's imperative for them to make those agreements to be operating in those countries and every single company makes those agreements every single company does, I don't know how useful it necessarily is for those details to be made public so that competitors can scrutinize those things and 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 try to maybe you know undermine them in other ways. I don't know how useful that is. I think tech overall has a real bias towards. You know, free and open source systems. Um, yes. and I think the engineering community, and I want to be really clear here, because every time I, I talk about this, I feel like I get a lot of um, opposition to this that is almost religious in nature. You know, I believe free and open source systems work sometimes. I think they're excellent for some things. I don't think that's the only answer. Just like, you know, Agreed. it's 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 a range of systems that you can use to like approach any 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 uh, particular situation, right? And I think Apple's DNA is just never going to be that way. Now, if you want to no, have an adult not. conversation and say Apple needs to work better with the security community. I strongly agree with that. You know, as do I. Christine, what you just said to me, like they don't have public bounties. 
that seems really stupid to me for a company that you know <laughs> has as much money almost as Exxon. Like they need to no, step I that agree. up. Um, they they absolutely right. do. And I know that the, I know some of the security people who work at Apple, and yeah. they work really hard at their job, and and they do really good work. And I also know security people who like make it their job to kind of try to break Apple stuff and try to break down what's going on. Sure. The difficult thing is that you know Apple more than Google or Facebook has kind of an integration at, with some parts of you know really big corporations. So there's a weird balance there too which is you know how much information are they and this is where i think more transparency would be better which is how much information are they giving to it administrators to to you know cso's to cios to cios you know what what information are those people able to have about how to manage um and update things um because that's something that microsoft faces challenges with too i think microsoft is an interesting company to look at because they obviously have kind of been built on proprietary software and have been, um, you know, historically very anti-open source. Um, but they've changed a lot when it comes to that regard. But when it comes to their security, you know, there are, they're, they're maintaining some of the largest code bases in the world and some of the largest system installations in the world. And they're doing it, um, I think, fairly well. I mean, they obviously have problems getting everybody to update, but they, you know, try to be, you know, public. But I don't know if Microsoft has public bounties, you know. Um, so I think that it, it, it's, I agree with you. I think they can work better with the security communities, but I also feel like there's there are just different ways of, of developing software. There's still mm-hmm. different ways of developing systems. And and Apple, you know, even though OS 10 is based off of Unix, you know, and, and Unix um, is not open. I mean, it, it, it's it's not open source. I mean, you know, it, it it's open and and it's it's BSD licensed or whatever, and it became open, but it was developed in academia. Yeah. Um. E- even Linux, you know, all these platforms, Google, Facebook, these companies that use these open source and and spread these ideals, they definitely do that. But don't think for a second that they're not the ones who have the only ones who have commit access to their code. Yeah. They might let some people view certain things, but they're the one. But they're they're keeping a very tight cabal over who actually has access. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is open. A lot of it is open in in in, in you know um, speech only. Not 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 so much in in practice you know how much can you really gain from any of those companies or glean from them it's great they open source their projects and things for other people to do and it's great that they have security research teams who will you know show off how they were able to do an exploit i think that's really important but when it comes to how their systems actually work i mean google is not about to reveal how their algorithm works there's never been an out there's i mean they don't make an api for google search that's that says all you need to know right there um for, for the really important stuff you know they keep it secretive um but I do think that there's some, there's a good point to be made that, especially when it comes to, I think, engaging with the security community, Apple's messaging has, has not really reached the point where it needs to be. It's getting better, but it's not quite there. And I think the problem is, is that um, messaging is, is what people see. And, and that's what we, you see it on Twitter. You see it on, you know, other, you know, news services, people who are following, you know, forum threads, other stuff. Um, when you see kind of the their approach to messaging with security seems to be the same as it is with with product releases. And you can't really do that. Mm-hmm. I think that's super well said. And I, I guess I would say this to like close out the discussion because we need to keep a tight show today. Yeah. Um, you know, I believe this particular um, listener that wrote me did it in good faith. And, you know, like they 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 spoke very highly about the work that we do. Um, at the same time, I think I would say as an adult, I think it's unhelpful to, 
I, I'm always looking for arguments that have more light than heat, right? And I think that like making accusations that like Apple is working with the government, Apple is doing X, Apple is doing you know Y, when there's no evidence to support that, I I don't think that that's helpful. You know, for me, I I look out there what my choices are as a consumer. And look, I've got Gamergate on my tail. I have to think a lot about security. Like we have two factor yep. authentication on everything. We've got 50 digit passwords on everything. I think a lot about these issues. You know, when I heard Tim Cook speak the other day and you know, we had a rocket about this, like about his his comments on Apple's role in the security role. Like Christina, you and I kind of disagreed on what the outcome of that was, but sure. I, I believe he was very genuine in his intent there to really keep Apple as a pro-privacy company. I do believe that that is their intent, whether it's their outcome yes. is to be determined. But I just... That's, that's the bigger question. Yeah. I, I don't think that it's helpful to, like, say Apple is working with Prism, Apple is working, you know, with Dropout Jeep to not plug it, when the truth is Apple's culture doesn't tell us any number of things about what's going on. We don't completely know what's going to be out in like El Capitan. You know, that could change tomorrow, you know? So this is just this way that the company works. I think you objectively can look at outcome of Android versus iOS at Windows versus OS 10. And I think like you can objectively look at those platforms and see Apple seems to be the better, more secure place to go. For me as a consumer, that is why I choose to use those products among many. But you know, let's not let's not say the sky is falling when there's just simply no evidence of that, right? Yes, I, I completely agree. And I think that is it's it's problematic to spread that sort of meme. Um I think one of the reasons that they're kind of secretive, to be honest, is that they have so many users across so many places that they know that they are a, a, a con that they are a target. And, and it, it, you know, you can respond to being a target in one of two ways. You can either be really open and maybe that works or you can try to be, um, you know, not as open about it and, and hope that that's obfuscating, you know, people's abilities to, to get into your systems. Well, I think there's also the double standard that Apple is continually held to. And it is laughable on a security basis and on a feature basis and a product basis. They are held to double and triple standards. And given the way the right. press is constantly rooting for them to fail and pronouncing their right. inevitable doom... It is extremely easy for me to understand how a culture of secrecy has like come about at that company. So I don't know. I, I think that's a good place to leave it. But yeah. <laughs> so should we talk about what we're doing this week? Brianna, what are you up to? Uh, I have a lot of writing deadlines to do. So um, I also had a piece on the Mary Sue this week that was very interesting. Oh, yeah. You uh, you burned yeah, down the we, internet again. I did burn yeah, down the did. internet. Uh, it's all over. We talked about it on Isometric last night, Ad nauseum. So that is what I am up to. What are you two up to? Simone, are you living? This I, week? I am living. That, no, I yeah. have. This is the worst timing because I have so many videos from PAX to get out and I I stupidly tried to go back to work too early and I think it uh <laughs> sent me back a little bit, but I, I'm putting up a lot of exciting stuff. I have a lot of exciting interviews that are going up uh, hopefully before the weekend is over. We'll see. Uh, I had a great time at PAX, met a lot of really cool people. Um, Can I talk for a second about one of the really cool games that I played there? Do we no. have time? 
Okay, I'll never speak again. (laughs) Okay, so I played this VR game called Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. And basically, it is unlike any VR game I've ever played. One person wears the Oculus and one person has a binder of notes. And the person in the Oculus sees a bomb in front of them with a bunch of little modules on it and puzzles. But the instructions for disarming the bomb are with the person who has the binder. So the I had to describe what I was seeing to Courtney, and she would take that and tell me exactly what I would do to disarm the bomb. And neither of us could see what the other person was seeing. And it was just such a cool, cool exercise in communication and ways that the Oculus can be used to, I think, rather than isolate someone by immersing them in a world, which is really cool. I think it's really cool that the Oculus can give you such such immersion. But this was a way that, you know, I could see myself using the Oculus because I, I game around people. I game with people. So for me, this was an opportunity to... It, it was basically like an Oculus party game. And it was so much fun. And it is coming out, I think, it's coming out on Steam later this month or in October. And then um, it'll be releasing when the Oculus releases as well. So I, I totally recommend Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes by Steel Crate Games. Uh, I have a, an interview with one of the creators up on YouTube right now. Um, if you go to Pixelkin's channel, you can find it. And that is basically the best thing that I did all weekend. Yeah, Christina, what are you Simone, up to? Simone, are oh. you money hatting? Can you be honest? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting paid yeah. the big bucks for this, the big collusion yeah, all right, dollars. All right. <laughs> Known as the money hat confirmed. I'm confirmed. Sorry, I'm sitting here in bed with my little top hat made of money. That's that's what that is, right? Christina, what are you doing this week? So um, it's a Labor Day weekend and my um, in-laws are in town. So my, my mother-in-law and my stepfather-in-law are in town. And um, so we're hanging out with them, which is fun. I'm packing for both um, uh, Apple uh, next week and XOXO. Uh, so I'm basically going to be gone for like a week. My husband's going to be left alone um, in the house to fend for himself. Um, and uh, I will be, yeah, so I'll be in San Francisco on Tuesday, Wednesday and have about half the day Thursday and then I'm flying from um san francisco to portland on thursday and i will be in portland thursday night yes. uh, friday saturday sunday and i'm leaving like monday morning awesome fantastic i'm so excited for you to be on my coast you know west coast best west coast. coast best coast east coast least coast um <laughs> all right don't let Simone bite you. Don't let Simone bite you, Christina. Something could happen to Is, you. Okay. <laughs> Am I like a werewolf now? Am I transmitting the Pax Pox through yep. bites? That's it. That's I, it. I didn't know that you thought so poorly of me, Brianna. <laughs> Where can we find you online so I can send you appreciative words about the words that you have written? Cool. And Christina? film underscore girl nice and i am on the bird machine at doom quasar thanks everyone for listening to this episode of rocket if you liked us rate us on itunes uh if you rate us on itunes the more stars we have the the less ill i will be and the more you will prevent brianna <laughs> Wu from save taking my tercel save simone <laughs> save oh, simone save the world so, yeah start that yes. hashtag trending right now i was gonna I, I was gonna say you know heroes is coming back save simone save the world oh my gosh it's true. It was a secret that I was in the new season of Heroes, Christina. You can't just drop. Oh, God. Uh. All right, Mike, take that part out, okay? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, terminated. 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 Nice.